Hey everyone, welcome to episode 12 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Rin Jackson. This week we're talking to Ryan Sims. He ran the design team at RDO until last Friday, and now he's heading to Adobe to start up a whole new thing and work on the Typekit team for a little bit. So I'm really excited to talk to him about that. Brian doesn't do excitement. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, no. He's no, kind of a skeptic. no. This was one of my favorite episodes. I think Ryan is a super talented guy, so humble, and he shares a lot of really and cool that insights. hair. That hair. Oh, he's going to love hearing this intro. Before we get into this week's sponsors, just really wanted to thank everyone for being supportive of us and checking out the sponsors of all of our past episodes. That's what makes this show possible. It like, helps us buy the mics, helps us get the rigs, helps us afford all the equipment and software. Uh, we're now opening up sponsorships for our next quarter. There's going to be you know, 13 weeks in the next quarter. So there's going to be some slots there. Uh, if, if you know anyone or if, if your company is interested in... If there's a product you want to hear about. Yeah, if your company's product is on the show, any, anything, uh, hit us up on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM or you can shoot us an email at sponsor at designdetails.fm. Uh, we would love to promote your product, your company to the thousands of designers that are listening Tens to the show. Tens of thousands. Let's not kid ourselves. Tens of thousands at this point. Yeah, it's insane. Um, so on that note, let's quickly thank our sponsors for this episode. Huge thank you to Icon Finder once again for being such an awesome sponsor. They are the largest selection of premium vector icons on the web. They have over 450,000 icons in their library and they're adding 20,000 more every month. So I guess at this point, they're at 470,000 easily. Um they it's have, been at least a month since we got the script, so it's like yeah, 490-ish now. It's getting close to 500,000. Uh, they have a pro plan. Uh, it's like a membership, and you can get more access, and we'll tell you more about that. Uh, but you can sign up today using the promo code ROBOT and get 50% off your first month. And that'll tell them you came from the show, and that helps us out a lot. Thank you for doing that. So thank you to IconFinder.com for sponsoring this episode. Our second sponsor is Envision. They came back. Powering a smarter design process that starts with a prototype and ends with better experiences for web and mobile. You can check it out at envisionapp.com. And with that, let's get into episode 12 with Ryan Sims. Every show starts with, what are you working on right now? What are you into? (laughs) Well, uh, being fun employed, I'm working on my apartment. uh, Working on uh, putting together a media console today. That's what I achieved. Uh, what's what's the rig? I just got like a sh- shitty CB2 media console, just because like I couldn't I couldn't make up my mind about like what I wanted. So the, I just moved into a new place in January, and it's sort of like the first time I've lived on my own, like as an adult, and I'm doing that whole like not gonna buy crappy IKEA furniture. Like I'm only gonna buy pieces that I like really like. Yeah. And I totally, totally caved on the media console. It's just like, <laughs> there's too many things and they yeah. cost way too much money. And I was just like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to get a, just like a $400 one from CB2. <laughs> and then yeah. I totally <laughs> forgot that I have to put it all together myself. Like that was all another rule that I broke was like, I was only going to have stuff delivered to my apartment that was like pre-assembled or assembled by someone, not me. So I have a few splinters, uh, a few curse words under my belt today, but <laughs> I, I, I made it out. <laughs> I love that mindset of like, all right, this is a 
seriously a fresh start and then you just go down the like down the ice sled like I, I did pretty well i got a bed i got a sofa i got well that's it man you're an adult now you're all Whoa. good <laughs> slow down man oh man uh, yeah i totally yeah i totally caved oh man okay but let's redefine the term fun employed yeah well it's you're pre- in between jobs but it seems like a pretty narrow gap uh, yeah it's a small gap i you know, I I so I just left RDO on Friday last Friday a, a couple of days ago, and um, and which will be a week ago Friday when this goes live. Okay, yeah. Um, and I'm taking a couple of weeks off, and um, then I start my new job at Adobe, which is only the first couple of times I've actually said that out loud. So it still Ooh, sounds pretty bombshell. pretty interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. I'd love to hear. Just more about how that whole process even started. Like, did you approach Adobe or did Adobe approach you? Are you part of the Jeff Veen vacuum? <laughs> well, uh, Jeff is... He went to True Ventures. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Jeff is someone that um, I've always looked up to. Like, I came... The first time I ever came to San Francisco was... God, this was like 2005, I want to say. No, 2007. It was a long time ago. And I saw Jeff speak at a Future of Web Design conference. And uh, it was like him and, um, God, I'm blanking. What's the dig guy? Kevin Rose. And there was all these, all these uh, people at the time that were, that were speaking at this conference and like Jeff got up and just like brought the house down. Like he is so polished and so put together. And I was just immediately transfixed at like just how brilliant he seemed. And, um, I just, I don't know, it, it planted a seed inside my mind. And when I moved out here to San Francisco about six years ago, I looked him up and, uh, I kind of, uh, just sort of shoved my way into getting coffee with him. And we, we kept doing that over time. And, you know, Jeff, I'd hesitate to call him a mentor. Um, but, uh, he's definitely someone that I've had really candid discussions with over the past few years that I've been at RDO. And we talked a little bit about like, you know, what I liked about RDO and some things I wanted to do in my career. I always felt really comfortable talking to him. And in October of last year, 2014 we just kind of started talking about typekit and um uh the possibility of maybe going and doing um going and doing some work there and you know i was i was pretty interested in what he had to say just because i you know i have a ton of respect for jeff and you know kind of just kept the conversation going um and then at a certain point, I want to say in December, the conversation changed a little bit. So I'm definitely going to to be working on Typekit stuff when I'm at Adobe. But uh, there's also a new project that I'm going to be working on there that I can't unfortunately say too much about. But that started to become part of the discussion then too. And that was really exciting to me. And the kind of nutshell version of what that offer is, is like the chance to work on a new product and service for Adobe and, and to kind of build it, eventually build a team out there. And that's something that I, I, I'm really passionate about doing. I've, I, 
built I helped build the design team at RDO when Wilson left for Facebook uh, t- uh, two to three years ago, and uh, that was something that I had no experience in and was completely terrified to 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 tackle and do and really just immediately fell in love with like building a team, hiring people, mentoring young designers was always something I felt really comfortable with, but like really being engaged in, in helping them progress in their careers. And so the opportunity to go and do that again, uh, where at a, at a place like RDO, we've stalled out a little bit in growth in terms of the design team where they're growing the engineering team like crazy right now. But, um, yeah, we kind of hit, we'd hit a good number for the design team there for the next year or so. And, uh, yeah, the opportunity to go and build a team again from scratch was something that was just too, too interesting to turn down. When you say you're building a team from scratch, does that mean there's not designers working on Typekit or do you mean for the new product? For the new, for the new project. Yeah. So yeah, there's a small design team, LAJ Stocks and, um, uh, oh, I didn't realize Stocks was still there. Yeah, he's the creative wow. director for Typekit. So there's you know a couple That's designers cool. that are already plugged in there that are doing great work and that I'm super excited to to start working with. Um, but yeah, the opportunity to also kind of grow a new team, I'm super excited about. I'd love to step back and chat about radio. Or- <laughs> Cardio. Mm-hmm. Cardio. Holy Cardio? shit, did wow. I just slip that? Can we, so, can someone we? has built his own music streaming service mm-hmm. and so he feels very strongly about it and doesn't listen to RDO. Can we edit that out that I just No. <laughs> no, we're keeping that forever. All right. All right. You're so, not gonna get me to say you're not gonna get me to mispronounce RDO. I, it's just I'm not like, gonna happen. I'm blushing, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> um You're not very good at blushing apparently. <laughs> RDO. Uh how long were you there? How many total years? Well, I was there officially four years in March. You were a contractor um, first, right? I was. I uh, contracted with Wilson on the first version of RDO back when it was like, it was still very much a strange idea. And uh, they've been they've been doing some like, s- some explorations around like what it could look like and what it would actually be. But it was all pretty nebulous, and and when they came to me, they'd finally kind of gotten some flows, some some wireframes that they were like pretty excited about, and um, they had a designer sort of leave. Uh, I can't remember the circumstances there, but I remember getting the phone call from Wilson, and him uh, him saying that he really needed some help quick to kind of you know get some of these these comps out the door they they were really trying to get some stuff rolling so that they could launch a beta and uh me and wilson had been next door neighbors and uh we he worked at uh every block and i worked at verb so we both worked remotely and we were next door neighbors so we would just like take turns going over to each other's place every day and just kind of sitting there and working together which if you know anything about wilson and me, uh, we are pretty quiet people. So we kind of <laughs> just would awkwardly sit in each other's place and just work on stuff all day. And then it would be like lunchtime. And then we would say like, all right, let's go get lunch. And we cool. go get lunch and then we wouldn't talk again. And then it would be like, 
5.30 and then it was time to play Call of Duty or uh, some other video game and I would just sit and watch Wilson play video games. It was a very strange relationship now that I'm listening to myself say it out loud. Uh, but it really worked. I loved, I always felt really comfortable with Wilson and we kind of in, uh, I don't remember us sitting around at length talking about working together, but it was always something uh, that I think we both kind of wanted to do at some point. So when that opportunity came up, I was super excited to, you know, to just work with him. And then Malta was uh, VP of product at the time. Uh, he was there too. And uh, I just like immediately fell in love with him. He was just like a wonderful human being. So like the opportunity to work with those two guys was, I was working on Verb, so I just worked on, some comps and stuff on nights and weekends and uh it just man i just still remember you know sitting down and doing the comps and thinking like people listening to music in their web browser like that was such a you know five years ago that was such a strange thought like the only music you ever experienced in a browser was just flash intro like techno right. music and there was like la la which was like kind of the yes, la dot com was didn't one apple of the, them what's that didn't apple buy them they did yeah for ping yeah uh, <laughs> who remembers that <laughs> i do <laughs> um but la la was like i think you know the first service i remember using that was like actual like a music player experience inside the browser but even even then that was just so strange and I did the work and it took a, f a little while. I can't remember the timeline in my mind, but um, a few months later I got a beta invite and I just, I remember firing it up and, and using it for the first time and just like being, just falling in love with it and just immediately sort of switched from iTunes to, to RDO, which I was a huge iTunes user. Like I had, had all the playlists, had all the like, smart playlists based uh -huh. on ratings and play counts and all that stuff. So uh, it was definitely not an easy move, but one that I just did immediately and have never looked back. I've used it for five years. So I think you actually made the only playlist I have in that <laughs> I'm year, sorry? year of 2014. Uh, uh, I hope it was good. I, I was surprised at the quality of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I listened to it just in the background while I'm working like all day every day and I was like it's just gonna be some random stuff yeah I was pleasantly surprised yeah I have like a wide range of uh, music so what are you listening to now um well I listen to a lot of hip-hop and rap now um and I don't know I've, I've just been like listening on repeat to the new Pusha T album which is like clips was like a uh, uh that was like a duo that Pusha T was in and I had no idea until this week that it was like the same guy from from that uh from clips and so it was like clips and Pharrell and the Neptunes like it was like the whole Atlanta kind of Virginia scene maybe about 10 years ago and Pusha T did some stuff for Kanye's my Be my beautiful dark twisted mm -hmm. fantasy and I don't know why I don't know why I didn't connect the dots, but I I just kind of sort of realized that this week doing some Wikipedia ing, <laughs> and uh, I just I love I love that album. It's like produced by Kanye, so it's sort of like 
in the fallow the fallow Kanye period in between albums. Uh, I've, it's sort of scratching my Kanye itch until okay. his new album comes out. Because I, lo- I love Kanye. I'm like obsessed with Kanye. I like Kanye, Kanye and Beyonce and anything that's just like not sort of slow shoegazery monotonous indie rock like i just can't i can't listen to that anymore no offense (laughs) this is a little bit off topic but did you check out the new kendrick album yet because i'm super digging on that dude i listened to that the whole time i was building my media console today which is it really got me through it um i I really like it. it to me like what i cut my teeth on hip-hop and r&b with uh warren g uh and regulate that album like changed my junior high mind that and radiohead kidding it's like i think i was in like sixth grade then <laughs> uh, yeah jeez i'm dating myself here was i born <laughs> oh god just kidding uh i said kid a i meant okay computer I, I listened to okay computer and um and uh uh warren g and that just that basically defines my my taste right there is like weird obscure indie indie rock and uh like hip-hop like funk r&b so like the new kendrick album is sort of reminiscent of that era of hip-hop and, and r&b so i'm i just got really excited because it reminded me of kind of like the poetic tupac stuff yeah and then at the end he does the interview and i was like oh my god yeah it was really good i i stopped what i stopped building my media console for a while and just kind of had to listen to that interview so it was so good i can't wait to like listen to it in headphones it's not nearly as vibey as a uh, good kid pet city but this is not an album <laughs> critique so maybe we should transition no we'll talk about music and how it relates to work problem solved <laughs> okay all right, all right. <laughs> I know nothing about either, uh, either listening to music or working, so I don't know how much I can. But you worked on a music <laughs> streaming app for a few years. Yeah, no one knows how to pronounce it. <laughs> Shit, sorry, dude. <laughs> Actually, Spotify? <laughs> how big of an issue is that with the branding? Because you did audio and then there was, what, is it video or was it pronounced video? Uh, whatever. Man, I uh, tried using it. Yeah. I loved it. I, I really loved it. Yeah. I jumped on that all over it. <laughs> it was hard, right? You commit to the R-D-O, and then you say V-D-O, and you just sound like a vampire. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I just caved in and said video. But yeah, uh, yeah that was, wow, that was a, that was a short, <laughs> that just brings back a lot of weird memories. That was a lot of work and turmoil. And Wait, uh, can you share a little bit more about that? Because that was such a quick phase in in i was that under the rdo brand like in that life cycle um well it was and it wasn't so um Giannis free our founder the guy that um skype guy right yeah he started skype way back in the day um he he had like a whole series of com- he still does has a whole like kind of suite of applications and and companies that he started after after skype and video was um, a project that was had been worked on for a few years, and they never quite figured out um, what the offering should be. Like the licensing over on the video side is very expensive and uh, very complicated and weird. And um, it was on the music side too, but with the major record labels and there being so few of them, that it was a little bit easier to kind of pull that off. 
but with um, the video and the fracturing and, and sort of that licensing of content, um, it was just hard to kind of like figure out what the the experience was from a licensing standpoint and from a user experience standpoint. And uh, yeah, so it just kind of floundered for a while. And then at a certain point, um, Giannis uh, or someone, <laughs> I'm, I assume it was Giannis, uh, kind of we brought it all underneath the RDO umbrella and um, with the goal being that we could package up music and video which is like you know on paper is a really sort of compelling uh, makes a lot of sense yeah and uh, unfortunately you know the the licensing just got even weirder the whole time we were working on it and we spent a long time you know we, we paused a lot of the RDO roadmap because we didn't have enough engineering and design resources to sort of take on a whole new new company and yeah that sort of ended ended pretty pretty badly with layoffs and stuff like that so that was a pretty pretty gnarly experience uh definitely uh a shock to the system uh but that was november of 2013 when we kind of closed that down yeah. and laid some people off so but you made it through. Um, yeah, made it through. <laughs> at that point, when did you transition from doing like design work day to day to more managing and building the team? Sure. Or were you in the day to day? Well, I mean, the f uh, f I should clarify with a caveat that I'm terrible with dates, so like okay. I'm not even going to try to hit the actual well, how did days. It, how it did feels it like yesterday. Yeah, in some yeah. Ways. How did it happen? Well, so more broad. Yeah, so when I joined RDO in March of 2011, um, I, I was just brought on as a as a designer. So I was just an individual contributor at that point. Was Pulselli there yet? Pulselli was there. Okay. Yep. He had been there for a little while. And I was the 30th, about the 30th employee, and I was the fifth designer, which is crazy That's and amazing. awesome and crazy. And awesome, which and, says a lot about the product. Yeah, you, I mean, like, it, you it can really clearly does. Clearly, see that it's the designed music player. That the, is crazy. The cool thing about it at the time, in some way, I mean, it was good and bad, but um, you know, mostly good that we had uh, all this time uh, to to just explore with comps, like feature. We would we would design features three or four times before they would ever ship, which was you know sort of maddening on one level because you know you always want to see the stuff you made get built and you want to help build it um but uh it, what it did was like everything that we launched felt really mature and felt like sort of lived in because it actually was in a way i mean we never we didn't ever have that st we didn't have like the prototyping tools or any of that stuff around then so they were kind of just these big giant specs like in google docs of all these features. I mean, features that we're like just now launching, you know, we've had designed for, for years or at least thought of like, uh, and fleshed out in some way. So it was really cool to like have that many people dedicated to, you know, not just your, your basic sort of design work, but, you know, taking features and just blowing them out and doing kind of like blue sky, uh, versions of everything really gave every designer like a really good feel for the product and we all loved you know it's a cool product to work on I mean uh, it might be the coolest product I ever work on in my career so it was not hard to like get excited about about doing that work 
Uh, so when I came on, I actually worked on the marketing site when I first joined. That was something that needed a lot of attention. And so I did that project. That took a few months. And um, I want to say maybe six months. To, I've been there about a year or so when Wilson left. And uh, when Wilson left, he asked if I would take over for the team. And I sort of, you know, I shit my pants and then I <laughs> sort of got myself collected and uh, agreed to do it. And that's when I sort of transitioned from being an individual contributor to being a first, essentially a first time manager and a head of design and st- had to start thinking about like growing the team and building out some of the peripheral duties like copywriter, like actually hiring a copywriter, actually hiring you know, UX designers and uh, PMs and stuff like that um, was something that started to happen after Wilson left. So the team grew from about five to when I left, it was 15. So Wow. I really liked in your uh, interview with the Great, Great Discontent, you said Wilson taught you a lot of lessons about management. Yeah, he did. Uh, he also taught me, like, Wilson was very, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it unmanagement, but Wilson, Wilson's so smart and so articulate in everything that he does that the best thing about working for Wilson was that there just wasn't a lot of like unnecessary sort of process or there, everything was just really simple with him. And he doesn't, he, he's also the kind of guy that just doesn't you know, there's just not a lot of small talk with him. There's not a lot of just extemporaneous. <laughs> we, we might have experienced that. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's very focused and concise. Right. He, he doesn't fool around. Right. And you would think that, you know, like listening to him in a meeting or listening to him on a podcast or anything like that, that you, he just comes across as someone who maybe studied and prepared for hours or days. It was like he had it things. mapped out beforehand. It was amazing. Yeah, but that's not, I mean, like he, that's him just sort of off the cuff, which was, you know, on one level was just completely maddening, but on another level was totally inspirational. And the, the part that where, where it came in handy on the management side was that, we just everything was simple like everything was just like there was no unnecessary process there was no there were no unnecessary meetings um there was no unnecessary structure on the team and so it really just sort of cut to the heart of you know like doing the work and that spirit was definitely something that i tried to maybe i didn't uh sort of have his flair for conversational uh mastery but uh i definitely learned a lot about like you know how to conduct yourself like when like he was we we call him drive-bys at rdo like when you know when you get stuck with something and and he'd he'd come do a drive-by at your desk like he was so so good at like getting people unstuck and like that's such a hard skill uh to to like you just have to have a certain amount of uh your your brain just has to operate at at the level that, that Wilson does um but he was just really good at identifying the one thing that would sort of unlock um 
un- unlock the thing that you were struggling with so that you could start to make some progress. And I always really admired that about him. Like most times when, when you reach a problem as a designer, when you get stuck with something, like you just need to keep moving. Like you just need to keep, keep going. And I think most, if any, if, if most designers are like me, when I would get stuck, I would just sort of, I would pivot and I would just sort of walk away from it. And I would be hesitant to go back to it just because I knew I hadn't kind of broken through it. And he was just very diligent about keeping people going and moving. Like it doesn't matter what you do. Like, like the only way that you're going to get unstuck is by trying a new, new approach um, or, you know, just kind of keep, keep things moving. Don't let things sit because that's when, you know, that's when it gets in, you know, you just get, you get stuck with something for a long time and you get frustrated. Like that's just not a good place to be in as a designer. Was there a big focus on iterative process for the sake of iteration? I mean, a lot of places you hear about people just discarding the first idea out of hand. Was that something that happened a lot at RDO or no, 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 no. I I think if the first idea was the right idea that, that then we're going to go with that. Okay. And I think a lot of times, you know, stuff moved pretty smoothly, but, you know, it's like anything else you, you, especially when you care about a product, there's this whole added layer of when you care about it, you want it. It's like that whole trope of like, uh, back when I used to do client work was like, it was easier to do client work than it was to design your own portfolio, right? Like you would sit down and you'd, you'd want it to be amazing and you would care about it. And there would be this like added, obstacle like hidden obstacle that was around almost virtually every corner which was that like i care about this thing i want this thing to be good and because of that i'm stuck now like whereas with client work you were just under the gun like it (laughs) didn't matter just get it get it done like uh you live with the the mediocre and maybe you fix it up later or maybe you kind of have a breakthrough somewhere else that sort of helps nudge that other thing along. And when you care about something and you keep hitting those obstacles and you just stop, like that 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 whole being frozen bit is, it's just a momentum killer. Mm-hmm. Constraints so. constantly make me like feel more enabled, which sure. is such a weird thing. People are like, oh, boundaries, that's preventing you from doing something. Oh, I don't want to put too many restraints on you. Like just... Tell me everything you can. <laughs> no, put that'll s- be great. Yeah, put some on. Yeah. Right. No, I, I, yeah, I love constraints. I love. I mean, my team can attest to this. Like, I loved. I also loved Wilson's brain for like the way he thought about systems and patterns. That was always something that we, that we sort of had in common. And so, you know, on my team, it, it's. Just, as we started to do work after he left, it was it was like build the system, trust the system. Um, you know, use it as a constraint because, you know, the nugget of every feature of every product is not going to be how good the button looks, you know, like it's going to, it's always going to be something that's maybe just like a layer below the topsoil of every sort of decision. And the, the, all the topsoil decisions are just like, what effect can I put on this button? Like what, (laughs) you know, like it's easy to kind of get, um, distracted by those things and you know when you have the constraint of the system tells you that the that the call to action looks like this you can start to focus on more interesting things like what what should the call to action be and that's that's a way more important um 
like what should it say what should the words be and those are way more interesting sort of product design problems than how do i make the button look how do i make this one look different than the other and it's like users don't they don't care about that but if the button doesn't says say the right thing then you know it's going to get them hung up are uh prototyping tools now do you think they're contributing a little bit to that distraction of how should this transition look versus what should the overall like structure be or hierarchy of of this content well maybe it's prototypes now maybe eight years ago it was flash maybe <laughs> yeah maybe you know five years ago it was xhtml and like uh, jquery i i mean I, there's always some there's always going to be something that's sort of uh, is a, a shiny little object that flashes in the peripheral vision of a designer uh, that's going to make them, you know, want to focus on the things that aren't maybe necessarily as important, even though they might feel super important in that moment. But uh, I don't think that, I don't know that I would, I mean, that's not me saying like it prototyping is like bad. Like, no, no, it's just you find illustrated letters in like old books and stuff, right? Yeah, those are insane. They don't help the book at all. It's just a thing. It's flash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 <clears throat> yeah, I'm sort of torn. Like, I I agree with everything. Just seems like it's almost getting to the point where pe- to differentiate yourself, it's becoming this like topsoil. To like use your metaphor, it's like people are getting really good at designing products. So now it's like, how do we make this appeal to the emotional layer? And you can do that with animations and, and the visual stuff. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, some of this, it does, it's to me, it does feel like sort of the same in some ways it feels like these, these things keep happening and they're, they're sort of on a loop somehow. I've been doing this for like 13 years so like you know you see it and you you start to see like well people started to get really good at css and then uh it wasn't okay to just have like a shitty cms anymore that was running your blog so then we had really good blog software and then then blogs weren't enough and then it was twitter and it's just like everything you know like the the the, the threshold for for excellence keeps you know getting pushed out and the timelines for working on the things keep getting shorter and um i think you know in general it's easy to get it's easy to get distracted by the things that ultimately don't matter and that was that that was super clear to me as someone who managed a design team because i had to be responsible for shipping stuff like i had to be responsible for sequence sequencing things in a way that they would actually get built and so for every single thing that my distractors got or my designers got distracted by you know it was just something that was going to mean it was going to take longer to build the thing that we wanted to have built and um so you know like you don't want to be a curmudgeon about like using new tools (laughs) and like finding new ways to do things. But I don't know. I'm, I tend to be a little bit apprehensive about all that kind of stuff just because I don't, you know, like the heart, the soul of the UX is always what's going to drive. It's always what's going to be the driving factor of any good product that you use. It's not going to be the transition from here to there. Right. Right. Um, It's not always going to be those things. Those things help. And if those things are done inside of a system, not inside of a vacuum, 
and that they're they're just constantly building on one one another and they're playing off of each other from the onboarding through you know when I'm listening to music or when I'm collecting music if all that stuff is building this experience then yeah absolutely but if we're just going to be putting it out there uh you know like you know to me it's just like we we need a reason for that and you have to be intentional about all the things that you do with design not just the pixels not just the animations not just the words but it's the full package let's take a second there to thank a sponsor quick sounds good Thank you again to Icon Finder for sponsoring this episode. Icon Finder is the largest selection of premium vector icons on the web. They're getting close to 500,000 and they just keep adding more. And these are the best icons you can use for your design projects. They are in every file format you can imagine. SVGs, PNGs, JPGs, Gs, Gs, Gs. They work in Illustrator, Photoshop, Sketch. They're going to work on the web. Anything you need an icon for, Icon Finder has it. So you can just search for it. You can sign up for Icon Finder Pro, and if you use the promo code ROBOT, you're gonna get 50% off your first month. And Icon Finder uh, turns around and gives 70% of that money to the people actually designing the icons. So you are supporting amazing artists out there. So we love Icon Finder, we love icons, we love icon designers. Check them out, support them, that's iconfinder.com, and use the promo code ROBOT, and you're gonna get 50% off your first month. Thank you again so much to Icon Finder. So on that topic, the topic we were on before about UX being the core of it rather than the pixels, you've said that you dislike the term pixel perfect. And I think that's a very interesting statement because people tend to come down specifically on one side or the other. No one's like wishy-washy on that. It's either super pixel perfect or mm, that's kind of a dumb term. It's also like on everyone's resume, at least that I see. It's like, I'm a pixel perfect, I, uh, you know, eye on the details kind of designer. Sure. I, I think me my hatred of that term is sort of one half me being contrarian and the other half just sort of trying to make this bigger point about the the ux which is um that i feel like we we come up with these terms and i think that in the beginning they sort of represent a, a kernel of truth and i think that truth to most people is that i care about the work like i i sweat over it i you know like i i don't stop when the idea is good, I continue on to great if I can. And I have no problem with that sort of mentality. I think for me, going back to, you know, what being a design manager, uh, design leader has taught me in the last few years is that um, though that level of perfection is okay when you're coming up with something to post on Dribbble. Um which, but on the other hand, it's like, there's, you know, there's just a lot more important things that, that, that need to be considered, um, in every single feature that we ever designed at RDO than just how perfect every pixel is. And to me, that's again, just a designer sort of being, uh, distracted by, by a shiny cliche, which is that, um, I noticed in myself whenever I sort of gravitated toward that term and there was definitely a point in my career when I was doing individual contribution and where I would do client work like where I would use that term I would use I would I would say like I need to make it perfect uh, as an excuse to essentially like 
bake in more time for me to actually, you know, like come up with something that I arbitrarily in a vacuum thought was better than what I'd already created. And so for me, I think in general, it's just like a guiding principle of like, are you using pixel perfect to just like buy yourself more time to, to add frivolous detail to, to something that you're working on because you care about like pinning your reputation to that pixel or is it because like that pixel is in service to the user and if it's not then like i don't i don't care how perfect your pixels are they're going to change in like three weeks when you know the user comes along and blows up all all the stuff you thought was perfect and you start to get data that says well okay maybe it wasn't perfect and this is the worst yeah so i i don't know i i, I don't want to be like I just I also just don't like the the kind of you know the general menta- mentality that it sort of instills in designers that they have like there's something pretentious about it too like at the core is just like this isn't about the designer like a lot of times like this is not about you this is about what happens when it leaves your desk what happens when it gets built what happens when it goes out into the world and sits in somebody's hand like you thinking it's perfect is a subjective point of view and it's sort of a pretentious point of view. And, you know, I'm just more drawn to like the humility that you need to be a product designer, which is one of admitting your mistakes, not grab, not like getting so magnetized to one of your ideas because you think it's amazing or brilliant and then watching it crash and burn in a, you know, in a real world example, because like I need product designers with thick skin. Like I need UX designers with thick skin. I need people to not be attached to perfect because we're never, by the time we know it is or it isn't perfect, like we've missed the window. So like, you know, like, I I don't know. I just get a little bit, um, I get a little bit wound up about it, but (laughs) no, (laughs) Not at all. <laughs> I I read a lot of stuff today. Uh, maybe you said this. Um, it was like design is, or product design is a series of questions, not a series of answers. It's like, how do we get to the next learnings um, and ask the next right questions rather than coming up with like, this is the solution and then the next solution. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. I, again, I think it goes back to, you know, the, the trait that I, the two traits I look for in the product product designers that I've hired is humility and empathy. And, uh, you know, that, those, that, that mentality of, uh, of approaching the work is in direct conflict with here, I gave you something. Let me slide this pixel across the table <laughs> and like, just let me watch your reaction for a minute because you're not going to believe what you're about to see. And like, that's just not like, that just doesn't jive. I mean, that's the whole, that's the conflict of, of doing client, you know, like that, that's the trap of client work, at least the, the client work that I remember, which was walking into those pitch meetings and wanting everything to be perfect because you didn't want someone who, was writing your check to look at it and say like, is that a foreign language when they would read Lorem Ipsum or, you know, you like, you would slave over, (laughs) you know, all these, all these details because you didn't want them to miss the point, which was that they were writing you a check to make something beautiful or something that worked well. 
And that's just not, those aren't table stakes in product design. Table stakes in product design, or at least the product design that that we sort of practiced at RDO was that, you know, like, is it going to make the product experience better? Is it going to keep someone coming back and listening to music? Is it going to get them to hit play, you know, that first, that very first time? And, you know, if it's not in service of that, then, you know, I don't care if your pixels are perfect. So you talked about hiring product designers that are empathetic. That rings of user experience to me. And I have, I don't know, I'm very bothered by the differentiation between like product and UX so commonly or interaction and everything. Like I think of the moment a user picks up the device or starts using the device, that's when the user experience begins. So everything that they touch is user experience. I have a hard time with the distinction stuff. It kind of drives me nuts. Where, where do you how do you manage those roles and like, what's the differentiation for you? Yeah, we didn't at RDO. We, we had one dedicated UX designer, um, but he was hired um, after we like, he was hired after I was there and um, we were the, the five people that were there at Pacelli, Wilson, Rod and me and, um, and Bry we were all expected to do our own UX. We were expected to write our own copy. We were expected to do everything start to finish on every feature that we worked on. And obviously we would kind of bring that work to the group and we would sort of as a group, you know, fill in the gaps of other people's weaknesses and, and what have you. But there was an expectation early on that UX was the first step of product design and that's not that didn't always manifest itself in wireframes especially coloring book wireframes which is what i what i call like you know none of our ux is meant to be a coloring book that we hand off to a designer for them to paint in the colors paint my number (laughs) and and you know that 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 approach is you know something that you know, we just didn't, we didn't do it RDO. It wasn't instilled early on and it's not something that I believe in doing. And our UX designers, his name's Mike Tauber. I'm convinced he's one of the best UX designers on the planet. He was so good at all the parts of the job that are hard, which is, I'm going to think about this flow. I'm going to think about this experience and I'm going to hand it off to a product designer to let them make the choice. They could blow the whole thing up and they can take it as sort of like a, a here's here's my findings on this experience problem, um, whether that be the foundation of which might have been user research. It might have just been like, oh, we know we need this feature, so someone's got to start it. Uh, whatever it was, um, you know, UX is always the first step, but he was always integrated with the whoever was actually designing the comps and worked with them endlessly from start to finish on every on every single feature and like having he was just there to sort of be the voice of the user and to be to represent um the user's best interests which all of our product designers sort of had innately built in to their dna anyway so it wasn't like a shouting it was never like a combative relationship with mike but you know i think having having someone dedicated to do that, there was also a lot of times where we were able to just crank through like Marvel prototypes that just had a feature start to finish in black and white. That was just like, man, this is really good to show stakeholders who want to make a decision about uh, like the viability of a particular feature 
or a redesign of something or uh, home was something that we uh, is a feature that we launched uh, last year that we worked on for years and it started to pick up traction internally when we were able to like have a you know have a UX designer sort of like not sweat over every single pixel and say like here's why we think home's great because here we can deliver these music stories in an interesting way we can deliver music recommendations in a in a way that maybe you wouldn't expect and if we'd waited for product design visual design interaction design whatever you want to call it to sort of get finished with that stuff like we would have missed we would have missed sort of valuable internal sort of road mapping and and scheduling if we hadn't had some of that stuff so it was a mix I mean like I I, I don't we we tried to not have a huge distinction between all those different methodologies uh, the only real one being UX and product design and copywriting those were really the only distinctions that we made and it was more just for practical sake than than just because that's what we wanted to call it uh i'd love your advice on something so we're just starting to build the design team at buffer and like haven't really gotten to the point of doing a, a formal design critique i guess what were some things that you found really helpful doing design critiques at rdo um the most important thing is show the work it's it's never going to be ready you don't let the designer determine when it's ready because they're going to want more time and what i noticed was that was really uncomfortable like wilson made us do that uh when i started and i'd always come i'd come from really small startups and really small client design agencies to where that was that was uncomfortable. Like I was not used to people seeing my work before it was finished. And that was, um, you know, a blessing and a curse. Uh, it was, you know, a blessing for me because it fulfilled like all of my weird anxieties and sort of idiosyncrasies when it came to design. But, you know, at the critique, it's just show it like, you know, show the work it's in progress. We all know that like, uh, and w what I found was it was really hard for me at first to do that, but it really bonds the team together. Like when you can sort of show s someone work midstream, especially if it makes them uncomfortable, it makes you trust each other more. And um, it, I mean, I luckily had people on the team that, that wouldn't go in and blast anything to shreds, you know, or were, you know, uh, sympathetic and empathetic of the other people that were presenting stuff. So it was always sort of a safe environment, even if it was at times uh, contentious or uh, if at times it was, you know, not, it didn't go smoothly. It was never an, it was never a personal attack. So critiques should never, you know, it should never be a direct attack on the person. It should always you know, be about the work, but showing that work midstream, midstream and, and before you're comfortable, like showing the world, like builds a lot of, you know, trust with each other, with your peers. And it also gives you a better end result, which is like, you don't get to the end. It's always harder to critique something that feels like it's about to go out the door or is like, well, 
it's too oh, late it's, for that it's now. Done. Yeah, it's too late for that now. So I mean, it's common sense stuff. It's nothing. It's nothing mind blowing. But just creating that that safe environment, uh, making it about the work, and making making designers show work before they're ready to, I think, is super valuable. Seems like it might help manage expectations too. Like we don't expect it to be perfect. Like we know that this is going to sure. take a while. Yeah, and not to go back to pixel perfect, but I mean it does <laughs> yeah. it does build it does kind of like tear that that designer's uh sort of instinct to like make it good before they show anyone. Yeah, yeah. Like if you don't have that then you know, it gets a lot easier to kind of talk about the work in very in very pure, simple ways. Um that gets it harder to do when it you know, it's sort of going out the door and now you have all these weird social uh you know situations where i don't want to offend rod because you know he's worked really he spent all this time on it and this is my first time seeing it and oh i think it's wrong damn it rod yeah (laughs) that's the worst (laughs) poor rod can't even defend himself nope (laughs) if he were here he would just smile if you know rod let's take a second to thank another sponsor quick yep Our second sponsor this week is Envision. Envision is the only design platform that lets people experience your vision instead of having it explained to them. Just upload your designs, and in a few clicks, you'll have a fully interactive prototype you can use in presentations, review sessions, even user tests. Plus, people can add their feedback, including copy updates, right on your design. So it's faster and easier to iterate your way to the perfect solution. That's why Envision has become a key part of the design process at companies like Twitter, Adobe, Airbnb, Evernote, and many, many more. With Envision, you can build fully interactive prototypes without a single line of code. And everyone from copywriters to developers, clients to stakeholders can give their feedback right on your designs. Add its intuitive project management tools and you've got your entire design process all in one place. Check it out today at EnvisionApp.com. Thanks again to Envision for coming back and sponsoring the show. Thank you, Envision. I love you. So you talked about in your interview with The Great Discontent, uh, a little bit about just like mentorship and and one thing that stood out was you said you wished you'd had a design mentor when you were getting started. And the question that came to mind for me was like, what is a design mentor? And what does that mean to you? What does that person look like? Yeah, well, since I never have one, I don't, I don't really know. I in think, your mind. I think <laughs> in my mind, it was honestly someone to keep me from doing a bunch of dumb shit. <laughs> I mean, to be quite honest, it was like I worked alone on stuff that I had no idea what I was doing for like the first maybe seven years that I was doing design. And the only sort of, the only indicators that I had that I was doing a good job were, one, was the client paying us? And two... That's a good indicator. Yeah, most most of the time. Uh, and two, like, well, <laughs> there's no Twitter back then, so it was like, you know, I felt like I had the support of a very small design community. There was, you know, you'd work on a project and maybe it would get linked up on like Style Boost or, or something. And uh, those were the those were the only things that were telling me like I was good at what I was doing. And you know, a lot, a lot of those situations where a mentor would would have been able to come in and help were just like bad habits that I'd formed just because like, Ooh, like what? Like not showing anyone work until, mm. you know, like the day before we were supposed to hand it off or, you know, uh, 
answering emails in a, in a timely way. I mean, it's like really simple stuff. It's almost like, you know, the kid, for me, it was like when I, when I grew up, like no one really taught me about like, uh, how to handle my finances. Like, so, you know, I made a lot of dumb decisions, like when I left home and I got my first credit card and then didn't pay the bill. (laughs) You know, it was like a lot of that stuff. I mean, to me, it wasn't, it was never grandiose in terms of like, oh, if I'd only had a mentor, I would, I would be a better designer. It's almost like if I'd had a mentor, I'd be a better person. And there was just a lot. I remember even going to RDO and, and, and that was my first time like working with a team that I, that, that had, you know, a handful of designers on it and was just like, you know, I was able to show them Photoshop shortcuts and they were able to show me like workflow optimization. So it wasn't, it wasn't that much, that stuff, the technical side so much. It was just all the dynamics, all the other stuff that, uh, makes you a professional. It makes you someone who is doing work that you're proud of, who you know how to, how to like handle yourself in a meeting. You know how to do a presentation to a group of designers or to a stakeholder. Like, you know how to answer an email that a flame, you know, someone lofts a flame, uh, a flame bomb email and just <laughs> yeah. like rips apart something you worked on. And the first thing you want to do is like, you know, attack them and, and be really immature about it. Like no one there to sort of hold your hand and say like, or just someone like me, I learned really what I, I'm a, I'm a very curious person. I, I'm a fast learner. So if I could have just watched someone do it, and I think that's why I have such an affinity for Wilson. He was the first person that I was able to sort of like watch do something that I hadn't done before and manage a, a design team. And I was able to like really quickly get a feel for like what he did that was really extraordinary and what he did that was maybe just like subject, subjectively, uh, you know, he didn't do anything awful or horrible. So <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say that, but you know, like stuff where, it, Oh, okay. Like this is what matters. Getting this right matters, you know, handling your shit in this way matters. And then there's all, there's room for all the kind of stuff that where I would inject my personality or choose my preferential mm-hmm. choice over his or hers. Um, that stuff takes care of itself but I meant like I just wish I'd had someone that could have just like instilled some like worldly knowledge and just sort of you know like took me by the the scruff of my neck and said like you're out of line here like Uh, do it differently or this is how you would do it but do you feel like you're a better designer and person for having gone through that on your own and having learned or is it truly that like you really think you would have been further along now at this point in your life well I I think in some ways it instilled in me a spirit of independence and, you know, a a self-confidence, but it also instilled in me like a lot of self-doubt and a lot of, you know, like second guessing myself. Like I, I remember the first half of my career just being petrified that I wasn't like using Photoshop the right way or like, or that I wasn't like presenting like to client, like there was not, it's not like it, you know, it wasn't then like it is now where you have, you have people, 
designers that are sharing their workflow, that are sharing like how they work on stuff. They're talking in podcasts like this about why they hired someone. Like all that stuff is um, sure. I have I have in, I have good instincts, and I have um, a lot of history with this particular industry, but. And I ultimately, I think, figured out how to do the things that I do now. But I think I would have figured out, figured them out a lot faster if I'd had, you know, a mentor there to 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 learn from, to provide guidance on on things. So I don't know. I see it as like I think I just would have gotten better faster if I'd been able to learn from someone else, and I would have been able to identify the the kind of the difference between those two things I was talking about which is just like kind of your table stakes like here's the stuff you have to know how to do and then here's the stuff the fun stuff that you get to inject your instincts you get to in- inject your personality and like how you want to handle things into it and make it your own like I've never had a problem with that I've just always been kind of obsessed with like the the other part which is just sort of terrifying to me uh, and it's still, you know, like still, even to this day, I'm doing this Adobe thing I'm doing from scratch. Like I'm still, I still have a lot of self-doubt in my mind. Like, wh- well, maybe, you know, maybe RDO was just sort of like, you know, a, uh, sort of le- catching lightning in a bottle or like, did, did it work because I hired the right people or did it work because it was just what it was and what Wilson and Malta had done. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested to now go back. This is like the, maybe the first time in my career I'm, I'm going to go and do something that I feel like I've actually done before. And that's really exciting to me. Like I've, I've just kind of always been doing the next thing, whatever the next thing was going from client work to pro to like web apps from web apps to like mobile apps to, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. It's just all, it's been a constant exploration of new territory, new ground. And I'm really excited to sort of take what I've learned over the past couple of years and, you know, apply it to like a new situation. That's pretty exciting to me. So having a mentor around to sort of help me (laughs) with that conversation on those, those particular things, you know, over, you know, the first part of my career, I I really would have, I would have, I would have absorbed that have you had a chance yourself to be that mentor for someone else? I think uh, he just volunteered to do it for us. I think that's what. The, yes. I think that's what that was. <laughs> Can we email yeah. you anytime now with the, any questions that we have, please? <laughs> that's the problem with like just putting that out there like that is that now I feel like uh, I'm I'm sort of. Uh, You'll get about ten thousand tweets after <laughs> the first week. Everyone hit up Ryan. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Yeah, wow, I'm not ready for that, but. <laughs> Uh, no, I've, I, I've been happened. very, it's hap- so I've talked with, uh, there's this uh, kid, Ludwig at Stripe, yeah, Ludwig Peterson. Uh, who is someone that I met a couple years ago and had, uh, you know, I, I just sort of had a, a really great talk with him the first time we met and felt really sort of uh, attached to him in that kind of like mentor way. He was very, he's a very honest like he just sort of puts himself out there and he's not afraid to ask questions and he's like man he's just so thirsty for knowledge and I and he, and I don't know I've been able to have quite a few conversations with him over the past couple of years that 
or I've been able to sort of impart some of the wisdom that I've, you know, been lucky enough to, to, to gather over the past couple of years. That's, that's something that I like doing. I, I don't know that I would, he would say that I'm his mentor, but, um, yeah, I like, I like, I, I just like those conversations in general, whether it's, whether it's me talking to Je- uh, Jeff Veen or me talking to an Evan Sharp or me talking to, uh, to someone like Ludwig or some, some young kid that's, or some, some not young kid that's doing this for the first time. Like, I just love those conversations. I love what we do. I love talking about the work and how to do it. And I love talking about how to build teams and how to, how to coach people and how to be a good creative director and all that stuff I love talking about. So I think one of the coolest things about our industry is that no one in it doesn't want to talk about it. Like anywhere you go, designers will talk to you about design. End of story. Like you're not getting anything else pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. I I read some advice somewhere. Maybe uh, on medium is like advice for young designers. And it was like email, email designers that you really respect and ask to meet for coffee because they would love to try and be that person. Like how can they want to impart some wisdom if they can on, on young people. So, but I guess that could come with the balance, right? You don't want 10,000 people emailing you or even 10 people. That would be daunting, right? (laughs) Yeah. 10 would be a lot. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, it's hard, right? Like the, the industry, the design community specifically has been so good to me it's been you know it's something that it, i always felt like it, it was very welcoming even in the earliest days it was very inclusive and and supportive uh in in nature and that's that's how i met, met pe- people like wilson and doug bowman and you know Nas and all these people that have always they've just been kind to me and they've uh you know it's always been supportive so it's hard for me you know, now that, uh, I've been doing this a long time to not want to also be a part of that, but it's in, in a little bit of conflict with my introversion, but, uh, yeah, we'll see if you write a good email, I'll, I'll get back to you. So I'm, I'm curious how you approached the career transition, if that's what you want to call it from RDO to Adobe, um, kind of touched on like, uh, there's this challenge of working on something new, but how do you was it that you just felt it was time or yeah, was, was it just it, a specific opportunity was it time were you lured by the the offer like how did that work how sure i mean that? you know there's a lot of different factors i also you know sort of i i broke up with my girlfriend uh in december uh who i'd been dating for a long time and um it, so like a big life altering change Jeez. there and um I'd also back in September had sort of reorganized our team at RDO to sort of be set up to sort of grow a little bit better over time and just the way that it was structured. It was very flat for, it was basically, you know, like everyone just kind of reported to me on the design side. And so I kind of made some sort of organizational moves there. Um, had kind of split up the different disciplines like, uh, product design, UX, copywriter, and production design, and, and had people run those, those, um, those 
different departments, I guess you would, it sounds so official to say it that way, but, and the people that were leading those disciplines would report to me instead of just having everyone report to me. So that was really a, a big shift in my job was when I put, I, I put uh, this guy named Jeff Copes, um, who has been at RDO for a couple of years now. He came from Square and Apple before that. Excellent dude. Um, I put him in charge of the product design discipline and all the designers reported to him and he started to do a lot of the creative direction and my job changed a lot. I started to do a lot more creative direction across the company. So most of my work up until that point had been just purely working on the product day in, day out. So now I was doing uh, brand and marketing and product creative direction was starting to take on a larger leadership role within the company as someone who had been there for a long time. And my job changed. And, um, I don't know. I, the, the way that I've told people is that I felt like I was in a similar place when that shift started to happen as I was when Wilson left and I took over the design team in that I sort of sat and looked at this work in front of me that I'd never really done before. Um, in, in the case of three years ago, that was managing a design team, running it, doing creative direction for that team. This work was more kind of like VP level type work. It was uh, informing like strategy for the company and being involved in a lot of meetings and a lot of email threads and a lot of you know, a lot of more strategic work in nature. So it was a little bit more abstract. Um, and I looked at that work when, when Wilson left and I just, it, I just devoured it. I just loved it. I just had a passion for it and I had no idea that I was going to enjoy it and that I was going to like it as much as I did. And I just, I had beers with everyone. I talked to anyone I could that would talk to me about hiring people, interview process, all that kind of stuff. How do you set up the design processes? What tools do you use? How do you store the files? How do you, how do you do the file names? <laughs> Man, he's you know, just begging the mentor. cow! Like yeah. all of those things, and like had no idea how to necessarily do any of it, and you know just attacked it. And I looked at the work that was in front of me at RDO and it was appealing in nature just because it was more power, more, more, more control, more, you know, ways to affect the company and the product. Um, but I just didn't have quite that same passion for the work and started to really realize that what I want to be doing is building teams, growing teams, uh, mentoring you know, sort of younger designers being, you know, collaborators with the more senior designers. I missed that work. And, um, I don't know, that's when you mix that into a cocktail of like personal upheaval and, and just sort of like looking at the roadmap that we had for this year and knowing that, you know, there wasn't going to be a lot of growth on the design team. There wasn't going to be a lot of opportunities to do that work. Uh, really just started to get my mind thinking about what that could mean. You know, could I start to do that somewhere else? And one of the conversations I had with Jeff many times was um, I've always worked for like underdog products. I've always worked for whether it was Verb or Pure Volume or, you know, uh, Nubix was a design agency that we started way back in the day. Um, 
they always just sort of felt <laughs> strapped, like really scrappy and like always had sort of the the support of the design community and people always respected all the work that we did, but we never quite like made, we never like sort of owned a, like a market. Like we never like verb was a social network and it was like before like Facebook had established itself as the dominant, you know, this was still like MySpace days. And like, we didn't, we didn't get the foothold there. And like RDO has always, you know, kind of been the underdog and sort of the, the design darling of, you know, the music and uh, the music streaming industry and, you know, Adobe or a place like Adobe was something, you know, I, I was very interested in just because like, I, I'm curious what it would be like to go work for a big company. RDO was the biggest company I'd ever worked for the day I started and it was, you know, 30 people and now it's 190, which, you know, isn't that small or that big, even it's, you know, nice medium size. But like, I've always been curious what it would be like to go work at a, at a big company. And so working on Typekit and working on this other project is nice because it's like, <clears throat> it's sort of this, uh, it's a small company sort of how entrenched inside this bigger behemoth company um so i'm i'm interested to just see what that's what that feels like what that looks like and to work for like a an industry leader um is something mm-hmm. that i've wanted to do for a while so i've been hearing that a lot from designers that whatever their product is is like a startup inside a like larger company with basically unlimited resources so like parse at facebook mm-hmm. everything i've heard about it is like it's like our own startup but we have tons of money that's I, I, who was it someone was saying that there was a team at apple that operated the same way i can't remember who it was mm-hmm. but i thought that was really interesting seems that, like a good opportunity to it seems like a great way to run a company try because yeah. it, it keeps some of the scrappiness of a smaller company but sure. with effectively unlimited resources Sure. I mean, I ho- I hope that's how it plays out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I that's the. I mean, in general, that's the appeal. And I I don't think I I, I wouldn't say I was ever worried about RDO and like it, its safety or like you know it it potentially going away or anything like that. It was it was never about that. It was more just about being in a at a place like Adobe. There's this like you walk in and you feel it. It's like, it's, it's a mature, I mean, it's been around for like 30 years. Like it's a place that has a soul and, and that's ridden tough times and it's seen amazing times and it's sort of, it's, it's waned and it's, you know, it's peaked and it's done all those things. And it's, there's just all this, this, there's this patina of, wisdom and knowledge and sort of experience there that you know it's hard to find it at startups but then you go and you kind of you know you you work on a small team inside of that environment and i'm pretty intrigued about what what could happen so that sounds like a really cool opportunity yeah that sounds awesome to see what comes out of it maybe if you have time you can revive your dribble account (laughs) it's been like what a year and a half now yeah i just need to start uh designing things again and (laughs) making sure that they're pixel perfect (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that was good (laughs) maybe we can end there uh we're out of time we're out of time although if you're up for it i would love to get you back on because i still have more questions yeah anytime i'm just down the road i know i'll just swing by i know um do you want to plug anything before you take off 
I'd love to plug uh, this little music streaming service I used to work for called RDO. Like, if anyone <laughs> is listening and you've not given it a try, it is the best music streaming product on the market. And uh, I think if you use it, you'll you'll love it, and you'll f- you'll find wonderful recommendations from people that you love, and uh, you'll you'll never go, uh, you'll never experience that whole. Uh, that whole like I stopped listening to music when I turned 30 and I had a kid I stopped finding new music because the music will come to you and and uh, yeah you'll keep you'll keep finding new stuff and you'll look a lot cooler than you actually are so <laughs> that was heartfelt funny <laughs> emotional there All we go the so RDO that's R-D-I-O dot com Brian try that for me R what R-D <laughs> All right, we're done here. Yeah. Uh, Still recording? For now. Thanks for coming on the show, Ryan. Appreciate your time. My pleasure.